0: Our scripture reading for this afternoon is found in the Gospel according to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? There was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we know not, or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again they called the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, if ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. May God bless the reading of his holy and precious word. May it give us light to see Jesus for the first time or with greater clarity. Let's sing in response. Beloved, this evening we'll take a bird's eye view, if you will, of this this chapter. So rather than focusing on one verse and and going deep, we'll elevate ourselves, as it were, and and look at this chapter. Uh, I trust that there will still be depth there as we uh, look at the entire chapter, because all of this chapter, all of these verses are centered around this one truth that Jesus teaches us in John 9, verse 5, where he says this, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It is this truth that Jesus manifests as he heals this blind man, a man born blind, a man who knew nothing but blindness from the day of his birth. And sometimes we might wonder, what is the experience of a blind person? In the words of Helen Keller, I trust you know that story of this young woman who was blind and her teacher who came along and helped her to read and open up the world to her. In her words, she says, gradually I got used to the silence and darkness that surrounded me and forgot that I had ever been different until she came, my teacher who set my spirit free. Let me read that again. Gradually, I got used to the silence and darkness that surrounded me and forgot that it had ever been different until she came, my teacher, who set my spirit free. The spiritual parallel, I trust, is obvious, This evening, humanity has grown accustomed to spiritual darkness. That's all that we've ever known until Jesus came, opened our eyes, and set our souls free in him by the light of his grace. By the light of his love, by the light of his mercy, Jesus comes to give the cure for blindness. In this chapter, the cure for physical and spiritual blindness. And for us, he comes to give us the cure of our spiritual blindness. Jesus reveals himself as the light of the world. He is the cure for our spiritual blindness. That's what's clear from this passage. As he performs yet another miracle, he gives us a sign that points to his divinity, that points to his power to be the savior of sinners. This, this miracle is a lesson. It's a signpost pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ as the light of the world, as the one who comes to cure our blindness, to set our spirits free, our souls free in him. But how do we respond to that cure? Perhaps that's a more important question to ask this evening. And that's why it's helpful to look at this chapter in its entirety, to see the different responses of those who respond to Jesus as the cure for blindness. Our theme is simply this, the cure for blindness. First of all, we see the right use of this cure. The right use of this cure. We read in verse 1 that Jesus passes by and he sees a man which was blind from his birth. It's not that this man saw Jesus, first of all. It's that Jesus laid eyes on this man. This morning in Sunday school, we, we talked about that, about how God always takes the initiative. Here again, Jesus takes the initiative. He sees with his eyes, he lays eyes on this blind man. And immediately, this, is, this story is bursting with hope, isn't it, as Jesus sees this man. This man can't see anything. He can't see Jesus, but Jesus sees him. This man knew only darkness until he came, until Jesus came as the light of the world. Jesus sees him, and he sees an opportunity to shine as the light of the world. The disciples ask him in verse 2 whether this blindness stems from the man's sin or from the parent's sin. And Jesus corrects their question. He says, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And it's a question we often face, isn't it, in a broken world. We suffer, or we see suffering around us, and we ask the question, what have I done? Or what has that person done to earn this suffering? And we conclude, therefore, that God may be unjust, In bringing this suffering. And Jesus teaches us here that suffering is a result of sin in general. It may not necessarily be because of a personal sin that we have committed. Of course, there are consequences to sin. But as in the case of Job, God teaches us that suffering has a specific purpose. To show forth the works of God, to show forth His glory, to show forth His power. And so before we claim that God is unjust, let us be careful to hear the words of Jesus this evening. That suffering displays the works of God. This helps us to understand suffering, to put it into perspective so that we can rightly understand God's design in suffering. To bring us to Himself to depend on him, on his grace. So what is the purpose of suffering? Why was this man born blind? Well, as Jesus teaches the disciples, he teaches us that this blind man is the canvas upon which God paints his glorious masterpiece of redemption and salvation. It's not just that this man's vision would be restored. It's that this man's soul would be restored. He would be restored back into communion with God through Christ. That's the glorious purpose in this suffering. Jesus says in verse 3, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest, be revealed in him. And so this man's blindness provides the occasion of his healing, but also the revelation of Jesus as the light of the world. And so this man's suffering was an opportunity for Jesus to show who he truly was as the light of the world. And Jesus continues to expound the saving purposes of God in verses 4 and 5. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What Jesus is saying here is that there's a time stamp on his work of healing and salvation. There's an urgency here, isn't there? There's a sense of, of need that drives the saving work of Christ, and immediacy, and urgency about Jesus as he sees the blind man. As he answers the disciples' questions, as he proceeds to reveal himself, he's on a mission. A mission to save and to redeem sinners, to turn back the spiritual blindness of those who are stuck in darkness, of those who, who know darkness all of their lives. This is very blindness. On which God delights to paint the glorious realities of redemption and grace and mercy. It was darkness until he came. The man sees light for the very first time as a result of Jesus' healing power. In verse 6, we read what Jesus does. He, he spits on the ground. He makes clay and then puts that mixture on the man's eyes. It's a, a strange way of of healing someone, don't you think? If you went to the doctor and he did that, we would say, Well, does that really work? And then he tells the man to go watch in the pool of Siloam. So what does the man do with this prescribed cure? He listens, he obeys. We could say he goes in faith. And he does what Jesus tells him to do to cure the blindness, his physical blindness. We read the effects of Jesus' remedy in verse 7. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. He submitted himself to the remedy that Jesus prescribed. He went his way. He obeyed Jesus' words and he saw light for the first time. Imagine what that must have been like for him. What a different world he walked into. He went into the pool in darkness and he came out seeing the full spectrum of colors that you and I see, that we often take for granted in the world around us. The sights, the textures. It must have been a sensory overload for him as he came out of that pool seeing again. What an amazing wonder. That all that he saw was darkness until Jesus came and gave him his sight again. But, friends, that's not the only light he saw. Because through the receiving of his sight, he saw the true light. It wasn't just the sun that he saw now and its rays beating down on him, it was Jesus as the light which shone with his mercy upon the spiritual eyes of this man, upon the heart of this man, to change him. He learned to see Jesus through this amazing miracle worked on his eyes. There was a deeper miracle that had taken place on the level of his heart. As Jesus heals his physical blindness, he sets the spirit of this man free, the soul of this man free from spiritual darkness and blindness. It's confirmed for us in verse 25 in the man's confession he says one thing I know whereas I was blind now I see verse 35 Jesus finds him again after the crowds have canceled this man and they ask and Jesus asked him dost thou believe on the son of God at that very moment the man still doesn't quite recognize Jesus then Jesus says, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. The man sees him. He really sees Jesus with the eyes of his understanding opened, and he confesses what he has already known. And he says, oh, Lord, I believe. The Master has come, the Savior has come. He's opened his blind eyes. He's opened his blind heart to receive the cure for his blindness. He submitted himself to Jesus, not just in going to the pool of Siloam, but saying, Lord, I believe. You are the light of the world. Here is the cure for blindness. This is who he saw, not with just his physical eyes, but with his spiritual eye of faith now. How Jesus transforms his life a second time in that day. He sees with his eyes and he sees with his soul. He sees the light. He believes in the light. His entire soul is flooded with spiritual light. Beloved, have you seen the light? And the way that this man sees the light of the world. Seeing the light does not merely involve physical healing or for some uh, request for material needs fulfilled. No, seeing the light is seeing the one who enlightens our darkened understandings. As to the reality of sin in our spiritual darkness. The reality of who Christ is as the light of the world. It reveals God to us, it reveals eternal things to us. It shines in our hearts and we begin to understand who God is, who Christ is, who we are. Seeing the light is believing in the light, saying, Lord, I believe as this man does. It's not claiming to know everything about Christ, but it's entrusting the entirety of who we are to the entirety of who Jesus is as the light of the world. It is receiving the remedy of Christ Himself for our sins, for our darkness, for our blindness. It's obeying when Jesus calls us to repent and to believe in Him. Obeying Him for cleansing and sight. As the one who can bring spiritual sight to darkened understandings. As you encounter the darkness of your own heart and unbelief. Even after grace, here is Jesus, the one who transforms our darkness. So that we see him more and more clearly in the gospel, he does this initially, doesn't it? Doesn't he? Upon our first believing in him, the Scripture says, "In thy light we will see light." He progressively shines deeper and deeper into those recesses of the heart that we have not yet seen. It's like the submarine going into the deepest depths of the ocean to shine its light, to discover what's at the very bottom of the ocean. So God comes with His Word by His Spirit to reveal what lies within us. To reveal not just the sinful actions that we've done, but the sinful motivations, the sinful attitudes, the sinful thinking. He gets down to the, the level of motivation convict us of our sin of our spiritual darkness to shine the light of his word the light of his grace so that we can confess those sins as well to bring us to the life that is in Christ again and again are we using the cure in a right manner are we obeying Jesus when he calls us to wash in the pool of Siloam Or will we come up with some other solution to the darkness of our minds and of our hearts? Will we turn to human philosophy? Will we turn to the pursuit of of the pleasures of this world to try and, and deal with our darkness? The reality is that that will lead to greater darkness, as we'll see in this passage. Because there were those who rejected the cure as well. Not all the people seek the light as this man sought the light and saw the light. Not all think that they need a cure and that's a deadly state to be living in. Some love their darkness and hate the light that exposes it as the Apostle John writes in his epistle. We see that in this passage as well. There's skepticism mixed with curiosity, and there's outright rejection when the crowds begin to ask the man what happened in verses 8 through 12. Is this not he that sat and begged? Some say, well, that's, that, that, that is him, but others said he's just, he's just like him. It, it's probably not him. And then they ask this man who was born blind, how were thine eyes opened? Where, where is he? The one who opened your eyes. Questions abound about the work of Jesus in this man's life as, as the miracle has been performed on his physical eyes and his, and his soul. This man affirms that he's indeed the one who is blind. He affirms that Jesus had done this for him. He states the plain facts of the story. The people are skeptical. Skeptical. They bring him for further questioning, for further scrutiny to who? To the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, for further examination. Sadly, how often don't we see this pattern? Even in the life of the church, perhaps a young person comes to the Lord or someone comes to the Lord after a very long struggle or someone comes in from the street and they come to know the Lord. They surpass even those within the church in their understanding of the gospel and what happens. Questions. Skepticism. Plain evidence is there and yet there is an underlying skepticism about the work of Jesus in a person's life. We we can fall prey to such an attitude. So Let's not think that we're immune to this. We begin to question what's happened by referring to former identities. Isn't he the one that lived this way before? Isn't she the one that did this and that did that? We begin to question them personally. How were you led to Jesus. Not so that we might glorify the work of Christ in their hearts, but that we can validate for them and for ourselves the work of Christ. In this skeptical way of thinking, perhaps underestimating the work of Christ because of, an heart, because of a heart of unbelief, we submit them to the critique of the spiritual elite who apparently have a handle on spiritual things. It can pass judgment on those who have come to Christ because they somehow know, like the Pharisees. This proceeds from a heart of unbelief, as we see in this story. Something we need to be aware of, something we need to guard against. But it's particularly grievous when this attitude of skepticism and questioning is done by those who themselves reject the light. Those who remain in their own darkness and yet have the audacity to question the work of Christ in others. Maybe there are some of you here this evening who live that way. You have not come to rest in Christ yourself. And through a bitter heart of unbelief, you begin to subject others to your own standards of what it means to be born again. What it means to see Jesus as the light. Because you yourselves yet have a warped understanding of the gospel. You remain in your own darkness. My friend, that's a serious condition of heart to be in this afternoon. caution you and I urge you to come to Christ not on your terms but on his that you might submit to his cure rather than rejecting the cure that he puts forward well the Pharisees see several problems with what happened to the blind man first of all their rejection of the light is seen in that they take exception to the fact that the miracle is performed on the Sabbath In verse 16, they cast doubt on the power of Jesus, on the divinity of Jesus, because he's performed this miracle on the Sabbath. They say, This man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. They had a skewed understanding of the Sabbath day and what God intended with it. Their legalistic understanding of the Lord's day prevented them from seeing the light continued on in their own darkness. It's astounding, isn't it, that the Pharisees embraced law-keeping but rejected mercy. Such a life ends in darkness and rejection of the light. Are you living such a life? Where you doubt the divinity of Christ. Where you doubt the power of Christ to heal sinners. Because your understandings are darkened through a legalistic understanding. You embrace law keeping but you reject mercy. Concerned with outward conformity to certain norms and standards. But rejecting the grace and the mercy of God. And as you reject The mercy of God, and you embrace conformity to your own standards, you try to conform others to those standards. Embracing the darkness of legalism, ignoring the need for the light to shine into your own heart, it's a serious and deadly way to live. Let the light expose your darkness this evening. To draw you to its warmth and to its mercy and grace. Lest you die with a heart of unbelief. Some of the Pharisees reject Christ because they believe him to be a sinner. Verse 16 How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? In verse 24, they try to force the man into a confession, the man that was healed now. They say, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Behind their question, behind their urging this man to give God glory is a heart of unbelief. That a mere man could perform this miracle. They affirm total depravity of the human race, but they reject the sinlessness and the divinity of Jesus as they do so. It fails to see Jesus for who he is, revealing the darkness of their own hearts as they reject the power of the light through their unbelief. You see, it's not just about this man who was born blind and who was healed. This narrative is about Jesus and who he is. This gets us to the very heart of what's going on here. He revealed himself as the light of the world. And John says in John 1, 9 through 12, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. That reality is playing out. As Jesus heals this blind man. They reject Jesus. They do not receive him. They do not receive the cure for their spiritual darkness. Jesus says to Nicodemus, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. That raises the question for us tonight. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus, a mere man who has no power to do anything at all, one who cannot save you because, how can it be that I could be saved? We limit the power of Jesus even through the use of spiritual language. What do you think about Jesus? Or do you see him as the only one who can heal your blindness? Who can lighten your soul? Well, there's further rejection of the light because of self-righteousness. The Pharisees probe the man in verse 26. He affirms that he already told them that he was blind, but now he saw And he turns the tables on them. He asks them whether they also want to become Jesus' disciples. In essence, he's already taking a stand here before Jesus comes to him and affirms and assures this man that he is trusting in Christ. And in self-righteous anger, they identify not as Jesus' disciples, but as Moses' disciples. Verse 28, they elevate themselves above the healed man. They say, you are his disciples, but you are his disciple. but we are Moses' disciples. They go back further. They reach back to the ancient Old Testament. In verse 29, they say, we know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. They respond with self-righteous indignation again in verse 34, thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? Who do you think you are? You see, self-righteousness elevates us, not just above other men, but above Christ himself. They view the man's blindness as a result of some specific sin, and so he's not fit to instruct them about who Jesus is. They are the religious leaders. They are the religious authorities. And who is this man to, to question them? They elevate themselves with their knowledge, with their religious training, their identity as Moses' disciples. They reject the light. They actively suppress the light through their self-righteousness. And what do they do to this man who was healed? They cancel him. They put him out of the synagogue. They excommunicate him. They make it so that he no longer counts as one of them. You see, such an attitude elevates oneself in pride while actively rejecting and suppressing the light and refuses to be humbled. Do thoughts such as this ever cross your mind? How can that person instruct me with such simple truth? It's just not enough there for them to claim grace, to know who Jesus is. Who, who do they think they are? Their story of grace doesn't fit my narrative of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus or a disciple of Moses for the legalist. My friend, such an attitude of heart reveals a heart of darkness and not of light. We need to remember the words of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew careful how you judge because with what measure you judge you will also be judged. The message to you tonight is to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as the cure for your blindness, not to reject it. And so that's the second response to this cure, rejection of the cure, but there's another one, another response. And that's fearing the cure. Maybe some of you say, well, my response to the cure of Jesus for my spiritual darkness is not outright rejection. I can't say that I'm, I'm pushing Jesus away. There's a measure of wanting Jesus as the light to expose my sin, to penetrate my heart. But there's just so much fear. Maybe that's not what we think about when we think about a response to the gospel. But it certainly is one that many struggle with when it comes to making a full confession of who Jesus is. That's exactly what this man's parents faced fear when it came to the light. They were drawn yet afraid. They wanted to stand up, but they were afraid of the consequences. In verse 18, we read the unbelief of the Jews brought them to these parents. They ask questions, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? They're interrogated. The answer in verse 20 and 21, we know that this is our son, that he was born blind, but by what, by what means he now seeth? We know not, or who hath opened his eyes? We know not he's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. They punt off the response to their son. They were unwilling to speak for him. They respond with fear to the light. They were afraid of what the light had done. They were afraid of the response of the the Pharisees and the crowds around them. They feared. They were filled with fear. We read that they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. They feared cancellation the power of darkness is strong isn't it it keeps these parents in its grip they feared men. they feared consequences they feared a full coming to the light and what it might expose does this describe you this evening Succumbing to the fear of man when it comes to standing up for Christ. Fearing the opinions of family members, perhaps, who exercise a Pharisee-like attitude. Counting their thoughts of more weight than the thought of God and seeing the light. These parents serve as a warning for you. In one sense, it's a response to the cure for blindness, spiritual blindness. But we should not see this response as a middle route, as somehow this state of neutrality between between us and God, because there is no neutrality ultimately. We can never stand before God on the day of judgment and say, I feared the light, that's why I didn't come. I feared the consequences, I feared what what the fallout would be. And sure, I I wanted the light, but I, I ultimately didn't come. So what's at the heart, at the bottom of this response is still a rejection of the light. There's the hard rejection of the Pharisees. There's a soft rejection of the parents, but it's rejection all the same. We can't hide from the light, you see. We can't use fear as an excuse. We can't use the fear of others as an excuse. We can't use the fear of the consequences of coming to the light as an excuse. Remember the words of Joshua to the children of Israel in the valley of decision. Choose you this day whom you will serve the gods of the Amorites or the gods on the other side of the flood as for me and my house we will serve the Lord there's only one way to be cured it's not through hard rejection or soft rejection but through embracing and obeying the cure that Jesus gives and so these parents serve as a warning for those who might be sitting on the fence tonight. A loving encouragement to turn from the fear of man. Turn to the light. Fall out. Embracing the cure. Cast your lot in with Jesus no matter what the fallout might be. No matter what others might say to you. No matter what the light might expose. Let it expose. Because when the light exposes, it always does so with the intent to heal, to show Jesus to us. Let these words encourage you to flee to Jesus. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him with a holy fear, with a holy awe and love and reverence and submission. Fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There is more, isn't there, to these reactions. The fourth reaction that we see in this chapter is that of reflecting the light, passing on the cure to others. In verse 25, the man who now sees, witnesses to his spirit set free. He begins to reflect the light that has transformed his life. He confesses the light in verse 25. He says, one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. He witnesses to the fact that he has seen the light of the world. His eyes have been opened, a wonderfully simple confession of the transforming power of Jesus as the light. It speaks about a change. That's the bottom line, isn't it, when it comes to embracing the cure? Sometimes a fierce struggle can ensue about whether you are worthy for the cure or not. Sometimes you look for something more an experience a, a special word, a warm feeling, the, this assurance of faith and inner peace to confirm for you that you have been changed, that you do believe. The fundamental question is this, has a change taken place in your life, in your heart? Have you been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? And the issue is not whether this change has come suddenly or whether it has come slowly and imperceptibly over the years The issue is not whether we've been changed like Saul of Damascus or like Timothy. The fundamental issue is whether we have been changed. Have you seen the light? Have you embraced the cure that God sets forth in the gospel this afternoon? Let this echo in your mind and heart, those of you who struggle this evening with this question of whether you believe or not, whether you've been changed or not. Let this encourage you. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. One thing. I was blind, now I see. We don't need a magnificent story. that magnifies us and what we've experienced. What we need is a story of change that magnifies God's grace, that magnifies the power of the light to cure our blindness. As this man reflects the light, he exposes the darkness of unbelief in the hearts of the Pharisees. He challenges them Verse 27, he says, I've told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? He reflects the light of Jesus in exposing the darkness of their unbelief. Isn't this what Jesus meant about being a salt and a light? Immediately upon being cured, this man is being that salt and light. Do you know the transforming power of the light of Jesus? for your own soul and he calls us to live as accurate reflectors of his light the man has to count the cost of being healed of his spirit being set free through Jesus coming and invading his life as it were eventually he's canceled and put out he's all alone he stands alone and yet not alone He counts the cost of discipleship in those moments and he he stands strong. He will not be swayed because there is one who has worked in his life. He will walk in the light. There is one who stands with him, one who shines through him. That's what provoked the Pharisees so much. Will you reflect the light, beloved, publicly standing with Jesus, counting the cost of discipleship, even when it's going to be very difficult? The cure will have an effect. We will be accurately reflecting Jesus or not. The way we think, the way we speak, the way we act in the world around us. Are we reflecting this light? But lastly, are we worshiping the light? Are we worshiping the cure that has come into our hearts, into our lives? Are we worshiping Christ? As this man stands alone, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Jesus lays eyes on him in the beginning of the chapter. The man is sucked up, as it were, by the crowd. And Jesus finds him again to strengthen him, to encourage him in his walk in the light, to lead him to worship the light. Blessed Savior, isn't he? He sees you for the first time. He doesn't leave you to yourself, but he continues to find you in the crowd. He comes to you this evening to single you out again. He knows the struggles. He knows the opposition within and without. He knows perfectly well what you're going through this evening. He speaks. He draws out a heart of worship. For the cure, for who he is. What a lesson for us. Let's listen to the voice of Jesus and not to the thousand voices of opposition that would want to do you in. Jesus tests the man. Does thou believe on the Son of God? With that question, he tests you and me. Where's your faith placed this evening? Do you believe on the Son of God? That's the question that leads us into true worship of who God is. Will he be the sole focus of your life, the Son of God, the light of the world? As such, he is worthy of your worship, of your life. Maybe like this man, you, you struggle to perceive the light in the midst of your your own remaining spiritual darkness and unbelief. There's times in the lives of God's people where the light becomes obscured. We live in the twilight of unbelief. You ask the question that this man asks, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? An intense desire to know and to believe Jesus, to have that unbelief pushed back by the light And Jesus is so willing to answer this man's question. Verse 37, he says, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. You've seen him. You've seen him with the physical eyes. You've seen him with the spiritual eyes. I am he that talks with you. Jesus graciously reveals himself to this man, through the sight and the hearing of his heart. What grace this is. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He comes to sinners in the very same way to confirm for us his work of grace in our hearts, to calm troubled minds and hearts that are struggling with unbelief. You've seen him. And it is he that talketh with you, even in the gospel. And how does the man respond? He says, Lord, I believe. Such a simple confession, isn't it? We don't need more than that. Because when we confess in this way, We confess that the cure is enough. That Jesus is enough to push back the darkness of our hearts. That we see him and not another. No other will do. We come with our darkness. We say, Here I am. Lord, I believe. What does that do? elevates Christ that exalts Christ that glorifies Christ as the only cure for our blindness because there's no one else who can do what Jesus does to give light to dark souls as the cure for blindness and Jesus concludes this miracle with an important truth in verses 39 to 41 sobering really on the one hand but also very encouraging on the other he's come to give sight to the blind to those who have nothing in themselves who are helpless who confess like this man Lord I believe it is those who Jesus comes to give sight to But he also has come, he says, to give blindness to those who see. He gives spiritual sight to those who have none and those who think they have spiritual sight. But are darkened and elevated because of their own self-righteousness and rejection of the light. He will blind further. An encouragement tonight that Christ saves sinners. But he also deals with the self righteous that exposes their supposed sight as hardened blindness. So, what's the lesson for us? Be careful how you respond to the cure. He shines once more to expose the darkness of your and my hearts he calls from darkness to his marvelous light in him is light and no darkness at all i bid you to go and wash to use the cure and he comes to confirm his gracious work the souls of those who use the cure in the right manner so that we can say the words of Helen Keller, in the words of this blind man, all was darkness before, until he came. One thing I know, I once was blind, but now I see. He shines, continues to shine drawing sinners to himself. So come, beloved. He has come. And when he comes and what he sees, he forever changes our lives, exposing our darkness, revealing himself as the light of the world, as the cure for your and my blindness. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that thou wilt take thy word. We have preached it, and we have heard it. We pray for thy spirit now to make it effective in the hearts of the hearers so that we might see Jesus in his glory as the cure for our darkness. Deliver us, O God, from a heart of self-righteousness, from the vestiges of that which remain in us, of unbelief, of fear even, that we would see none but Jesus, that we would worship you. The best worship that we can offer to you is to come and to believe and to confess, saying, Lord, I believe. We ask all these things. Thanking thee for this time together. Under thy word. We ask all these things for Jesus' sake alone. Amen.